Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's Anna. Since the election, we've been hearing from you. We asked you to answer the question, what's the thing you wish other Americans understood about you but don't? Last night, I hosted a live call-in special on the radio, and you chimed in with your answers. It was a great conversation and really an honor to talk with you so honestly at such a raw time in our country. So we wanted to share the radio special with you over the podcast feed, too. Just a reminder, when you hear the phone number, this already happened, so you won't get me if you call in. But you can reach us anytime by emailing deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This radio call-in special was in collaboration with an election series produced by my colleagues in the WNYC newsroom in New York. The series is called The United States of Anxiety. It's been really great and has covered how complicated and emotional this moment in America is right now. Look it up on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And have a great Thanksgiving holiday weekend. I'm thankful for you. It was so exciting to get to talk to some of you live on the radio. Here's our show. I'm Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. And for the next hour, we're going to be taking your calls specifically around one question. What do you want other Americans to understand about you that they don't? Our number is 212-433-WNYC, or you can tweet at WNYC or at Death, Sex, Money. Use the hashtag OtherAmericans. I want to get to as many calls as possible tonight. I'm hoping that we'll hear from people across the country. We've already been asking our listeners on Death, Sex, and Money what they want other Americans to understand about them. And we heard from Kelly in Portland, Oregon. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Anna. How are you? Hi. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you. Thank you. I understand you used to live in New York City? Yes, I did. I I was uh, born and raised and moved to Portland in 2001. In 2001. So it's been about 15 years. Yes. So from from your vantage point, what do you want other Americans to understand that it feels right now that they just don't? Well, I... One thing that I find myself frustrated about, especially listening to the news, no matter what I'm listening to, is how oversimplified everything is. Um, and even when I hear other people interviewed, um, I, 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 I find myself kind of screaming about, about how it seems like we, we, we're just, um, we're making complex matters way too simple. Um, and we're not using our best selves in terms of just being empathetic and being um, um, curious and wanting, you know, dialogue. What do you think? So wanting dialogue, wanting to hear more empathy. How did you feel when the election results came in? What was your like your most like uh, passionate emotion? Oh, gosh. Um, well, well, it's interesting because I wasn't really pro-Hillary. I mean, I'm a black woman from New York City living in Portland, and so I have typically voted um, um, Democrat, but I wasn't a big fan of um, Hillary Clinton, but I really was not a big fan of Donald Trump. So um, I, I was struggling with my, with not with my choice, but I thought about not even voting, and I did. Um, 
but it was it was shock. It was it it really was shock because I just still thought that Hillary Clinton would win, um, and I could not possibly imagine Donald Trump being president. It's still shocking right now. So given, like, what you know about what's happening in your community in Portland, Oregon right now, Mm -hmm. as a Mm -hmm. black woman, what do you feel like is being left out of the conversation? What's missing? Um, Well, we've we've been talking here about about how we're in a blue bubble. Um, And so I guess what I I feel is missing is... um, you know that liberal smugness that was talked about, that is talked about on the the um, the um, right. I feel like people are uh, liberals in this town haven't been. I'll say that they're starting to, but I, but I have felt like they haven't been really examining themselves. Um, I, I like to they're not a, they're smug and not self-aware about it is what you're saying exactly yeah I sometimes I say Portland's a liberal town that hasn't really been um, tested because there's just there's there's just not that much um, diversity here and and what's that smugness like what do you mean like you're you're walking around you're having a conversation with someone what is it that 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 you've noticed that kind of grates on you that's a, that's a great question. Um, it's it can be just a, a sense a sense of rightness. This um, a lack, like I said earlier, a lack of um, curiosity. And I, I mean, I get it. People want to feel smart, and um, but it, it's I think I think there's so much affirmation here for for one way of seeing. That um, it can it can leave it can it, it can leave a sense that that I'm not really being seen. Even though I have white friends who are wonderful, sometimes I feel like I'm not seen in 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 who I am. You're not seen. Sense? Is it particular to, to to feeling that way as a black woman, or is it is it? Tell me more about that. Oh, I think it is about being a black woman and 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 coming from somewhere else, or even just um, like, for example, an example not even about me is about um, these um, a lot of liberal white folks who will use the term um, white trash, which is a term I really struggle with, um, and not see anything wrong with that. And that's not, of course, that's not all of my friends, of course, but to me that, that speaks to a class divide that's not really acknowledged here. Kelly, I want you to stay on the line, and I want to bring someone else sure. into the conversation. Elijah from my home state of West Virginia. You there, Elijah? Yes, I am, Anna. Thank you. Hi. Welcome to WNYC. I bet, do you have feelings about the term white trash? I have feelings about that term as a white, as do, a West yeah. Virginian. I do, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an uneducated point of view, in my opinion, yes. It's, tell me, what do you feel like in this moment, post-election, what do you feel like other Americans aren't understanding about you that they wish they, you wish they would? Well, you know, I think just the stereotype, you know, from this state. I mean, if you, if you, you know, were watching, of course, we all were, um, you know, the Republican Party carried every county in the state of West Virginia. Um, and, you know, and, and there's, it looks like there's not a lot of diversity here, and, and there's really not, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, but there are you know, there's pockets, there's certain pockets amongst this state and in this state that, that there are some diverse people, and I'm one of them. You know, I fall into the 18 to 35 demographic. Um, you know, I come from probably an even smaller town than you do. I mean, 99.9% white population, uh, you know, second and third generation coal miner families, you know, were most of my friends and family. So, um, you know, everybody just assumes, I think, that uh, – I think a certain way, um, but you know I'm a bit more cultured and open-minded, and so you know, um, you know how it is, Anna. When you travel and you tell people where you're from, I mean, sometimes you get a, you know, you almost get a reaction from them, and you kind of think, well, hey, man, you know, what was that about? You know what I mean? Uh, you don't know me, um, so you know, I think my initial reaction, uh, you know, would be that just uh, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. You know, I'm just like to think of myself as more of a free thinker and, and uh, a little bit more culturally diverse, not defined by where I come from, I should say. Who did you support in the election, Elijah? 
You know what? Actually, supported Gary Johnson, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I followed this election probably more closely. I'll admit, I think what a lot of people did. Um, I think this. I don't know the statistics, but I think it was probably the highest-rated uh, presidential de- debates um, overall. And I actually voted for Johnson. Uh, you know, both Trump and Hillary had some uh, points of view that I agreed on, and they both had some that I didn't. So I'll be honest with you, I was very torn. Um, I was almost nervous going into the polls in this one. I was very undecided, um, but it was exciting. You know, it was exciting. I was glad to exercise my right to vote, and, uh, you know, I encouraged everyone around me um, to do so as well. Um, you know, I'll, I'll point out a quick statistic. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm I'm just kind of curious when you when you you mentioned that all the counties in West Virginia went for Trump and you feel like West Virginia is is don't judge a book by its cover and and w- how do you understand as someone living right now in Huntington, West Virginia, what is this? Why do you think it, the state went so much for Donald Trump? Why do you think it was so unanimous across the state that he was the better choice? Um, you know what, honestly, um, I think it really you know hinged on the coal, uh, the coal industry. I think, you know, Trump came here, he, he put on a, a, a coal hat, and, uh, you know, that's really all you have to do in some of these areas, you know, and I understand, I mean, like I said, I have close friends and family members that that, that, that rely on the coal industry for uh, for their income and support their families, but, um, you know, as we know, I mean, I, I really, I just don't think he's going to be able to bring coal jobs back here. I mean, I just don't think that it's efficient enough to mine it. I think natural gas is just taking the uh, just taking over the market, you know, and these businesses are going to buy where they can get, you know, they're going to get their energy the cheapest. So, uh, but and, I, I do I think I think it had to do with coal, and I honestly do. And and Elijah, I want to bring Kelly back into the conversation, and and this is something I have struggled with as a West Virginian, and and is is thinking about race in this election and mm-hmm. wondering to what extent this has brought up because of such, such the deep resentments that come from economic despair how, i feel like in in some places that has triggered a, a a what has been an underground sense of racial resentment and then has come up and it has exploded and and i just wonder Elijah like what just like talk with Kelly about how you feel like people are viewing black people in West Virginia right now. I just want to hear you all kind of talk about that. Sure. Yeah, well, there's... Hi, Elijah. Hey, hey, Kelly. Nice to to talk to you. (laughs) You too. Um, I think there's a divide, you know. There's a definite divide. It's really sad, you know what I mean? I feel like um, as a population, we're going backwards. I mean, I I, I truly Mm -hmm. do. I I feel like there's just such a line in the sand and, and like a we had talked before there's a, there's the others you know everyone's looking at the other side and, and it's uh you know it's unfortunate it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and kelly is there part of you that you know you, you you've gotten your back up in the past when when smug portlanders as you say use terms like mm-hmm. like white trash is there is there part of you that after this election you've looked at parts of the country that have struggled economically that are predominantly white that you're like you know what i don't I'm feeling less for you. I'm feeling less for you right now. No, no, actually, um, I feel, I, I, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm triggered when I, um, when I hear about, you know, the, the, um, the uh, racism and the targeting of people of color, of course, but, um, but, but people struggling are people struggling. I mean, people of color have historically struggled, like black folks. I come from you know, a family, people who have struggled. And so, and um, there's a part of me that, that, that understands um, where that anger and frustration comes from. I mean, I, I, I'm afraid, though. I'm afraid of being, being the, uh, the um, target of that, of that anger and um, frustration, you know. Um, but, but, like, are you really um, feeling that? Are you feeling that in, like, are you feeling that physical threat? Like, are you fearing that right now? Um, I am. I am actually, and not, and but I mean, certainly not, not as much as people living in other parts of the country. But, um, but, but, but I do get that, especially when I see, uh, I'll be honest, white men of um, who appear to be um, um, working, working class or or poor. I and. Uh, Often when I'm when I'm walking near them, I get afraid, and it's and it's because I I'm afraid that I'll be a target, 
you know, of their their um, anger. It seems that, um, um, how, however misguided it is, when a lot of white people struggle, they look at people of color and they have this idea that we're doing better than them, you know. And Elijah, do you want to add anything to what Kelly just said? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, she, she's definitely spot on. I mean, and I think, like I said, um, those men that she refers to, if you look, actually, I mean, I, I really think that it's those people, it's that demographic that carried Trump in this election. You know, I mean, I heard mm-hmm. a stat you know, a couple months ago that um, 80% of his supporters were uh, non-college educated uh, people. Mm-hmm. And, and I really think that what really threw the pollsters off is Trump appealed to that certain demographic, you know, that that lower to middle class, um, working class, you know, white male demographic thought, hey, man, you know, we can relate with this guy and, and we're going to go vote. Um, if you if you look mm-hmm. back in, 2000, in 2012, West Virginia, my state, was the last in voter turnout, the worst voter turnout um, out of the entire country. I mean, you're talking in, in, in the 18 to 24 year old range. We had 23%, so only 22% of 18 to 24 year olds voted in 2012. Now this year, I feel like Trump was kind of a man's man, and and, and they thought, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I, I can relate to this guy, um, and so they came out and they voted for the first time. You know, we actually, uh, you know, our our state was up, you know, five six percent. We actually set a record for early voting. We we had like, you know, over 200,000 early votes. So it almost was like people were eager. To vote this time, you know, versus were 2012, yeah, they were fired up. You know, they wanted to get out there and make America great again, so to speak. So, um, you know, that demographic, I think this election almost it it, it awoke a racial tension in people that I mm-hmm. think wasn't even there before. You know what I mean? And um, like I said, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it really is. I mean, it's and it's predominant here where I'm at. I mean, like you said, we we're not a very culturally diverse state to begin with. So I think the minorities here feel probably even more threatened and i think that that threat was perpetuated by a lot of this election coverage media and whatnot and just all the people on social media and and so forth so well elijah i want to thank you for calling in and and kelly too thank you so much for starting us going on a on a on a good path for the hour i appreciate your time thank you yeah thank you and we're going to get to some other callers i want to hear from david in millstone new jersey david What's something you want other Americans to understand about you that they don't? Hi, thanks for taking my call. My family uh, came here as uh, Jewish refugees, and I'm first-generation American, and I was raised in Brooklyn, and I didn't, the community that I grew up in, we were a Russian community, and I didn't speak English until I was five and went to public school. There, so I feel like I've always occupied this weird kind of liminal space between being American, being read as a regular American, as a regular white American, and not really fully getting it, and constantly hmm. being put into social situations that are culturally informed or informed by different power dynamics that I'm not necessarily... Um, that don't come you don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how is that, like, does that, have you felt that more in the, in, after the election at all? Like, what are you feeling in these weeks after the election results came in? Well, I was, I was devastated. I'm scared. I was scared for a lot of my friends. Um, scared for myself. I'm queer. And it's just a lot of uncertainty in the air. Um, and I think What are you afraid of right now? Um, all the swastikas popping up in New York, um, and all my friends who are, um, people of color, um, who are under like such, I feel like such direct threat right now. But I listened to that speech that, um, that alt-right person gave, uh, and I actually wore my kippa for the first time today in my adult life. Really? Because I was like, yeah, it was... It was, it was a strange moment, but... You wanted to be visually identified as Jewish. You wanted to sort I, of... I wanted, yeah, I wanted, I, I don't want to, I was, I'm not going to, I'm not going, it made me afraid to hear, and then I decided that I wasn't going to let those people in that room control how, who I am. David, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate your story.
This is the United States of Anxiety Call in Hour, live from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale, host of the WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. If you're just joining us, we're taking your calls with your answers to the question, what do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Our number is 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. Or you can tweet us at WNYC or at Death, Sex, Money. We are filling up. I want to hear from Gabriella in Austin, Texas. Gabriella, what do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Uh, hi. Um, I feel like I'm, oh, it, I think it's just the feeling of constantly just being scared, just like David was saying. You know, I'm originally from Puerto Rico and I lived on the East Coast for a while and have a lot of international friends and grew up surrounded by very diverse cultures and diverse people. And I moved to Austin, which is a blue dot in a red state, but it's still very much uh, driven by this this really white conservative um, thought process. And it's it was hard, especially the day after, to just even walk into my office and just I was terrified of just speaking up and and showing how I felt and and really expressing myself and because I don't know how people here are going to react and walking down the street and hearing my friends and or, or just people in my community being yelled back to go to Mexico and stuff like that when it's like I'm an American citizen I'm a part of the United, like I've always been part of the United States. So is my family. So it's it's just a really terrifying moment right now, and and it's just been manifested so so much because of this election that it's just like it's like you knew it was always there, and now it's really alive and and burning, and it's terrifying. You said you you felt anxious at work because you didn't know how how people were feeling. Has have you had conversations at work since? in the days since the election? I did, and thankfully I work with um, a great group of people that are very open-minded and come from a lot of different backgrounds, even though most most of my office is, is white and Christian and, um, uh, you know, conservative. But I, I, w- I was able to express not only how sad I was and devastated, but how I also was scared because I am Hispanic. I am... I do not look white. I do look like, you know, like I don't look like I am from this country. And it was good to feel protected. I just want to correct you there. Like, like you look like you're from this country if you're not white. That's that's not a defining characteristic of how you look like you're from this country. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, it, it, it it's. Everyone thinks, I, yeah, I know, and and it's not a defining... I think that speaks to how you're feeling. Yeah, I think that speaks to Absolutely. how you're feeling right and now in this moment. Um, Gabriella, thank you so much for calling in. Right now, we're, we're taking your calls about what you wish other Americans understood about you, but don't. We've, we've been asking this question to our listeners on the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, since the election. Here's just a little bit of what we've heard. I just want Americans to know that I'm not the stereotype that has been cooked up for me. Um, The amount of melanin in my skin doesn't define who I am. Uh, I just wish that I could be seen as as the person that I am and and not what people think I represent. Every time I hear, where are you from, in my head, there's this voice that says, you don't belong here. I would like other Americans to know that not everyone who grows up in the Rust Belt or from a so-called white trash family, um, we're not a monolithic group of people and we don't all think alike. Uh, What I wish other Americans understood about me is that I just don't want to talk about this stuff anymore. In the end, none of this is going to help with the problems in my life. I'm a transgender man in my mid-30s. I'm a lawyer who grew up lower middle class. Um, I've worked very hard for who I am and what I am, and I want to be able to continue to work hard and pay my taxes. I wish other people understood that, yes, 
I'm an upper middle class white woman who happens to be a Republican, but it doesn't mean that I'm a racist or a bigot or that I want to move our country back a hundred years or that I don't believe women have rights. It just means that I see things a little differently than they do. And I wish that they understood that. I want to bring into the conversation that listener named Catherine. And Catherine, it sounded to me like in that moment when you recorded the message for us, you were feeling pretty um, defensive. Would you say that's accurate? Um, hi, Anna. Yeah, I, I would. I would say that also. Like just, just a little hesitant about being open with people. I feel like in more recent times the connotations that people have with people who are of uh, conservative political views are just not necessarily the best connotations with, with, you know, some understanding as to where some of that's coming from. I just feel like, you know, you hear the R word, Republican, and sometimes people assume of things about you that aren't necessarily true. And that's so where you I voted for Donald Trump? You voted I for Donald not. Trump? You did not. I did not. But you identify as I a Republican. Not. Yes, I do. And, and how long have you been a Republican? Oh, my, for as long as I can remember. And it's, it's more so economical than, than anything, anything else, you know. But regardless, I feel like, you know, there should be a certain level of tolerance for the fact that other people may not believe what you believe. And, you know, if I respect you... I would hope that you would respect me. And who did you vote for? I voted for Gary Johnson. Tell me about that choice. What was it about Donald Trump that repelled you? He actually, he represents a lot of what I've been accused of being because I am a Republican. And that disgusts me because I have no reason to hate someone because of you know, the color of their skin or their sexual orientation. I mean, the Republicans were the party of Abraham Lincoln and the Civil Rights Act. And what it's become in, you know, in a way is, is kind of embarrassing. Ed, do, you, do you think you're going to continue to self-identify as a Republican when Donald Trump become pres- becomes president? Uh, I'm, I'm questioning that. I'm more and more, you know, I talk to my younger family members who are my age, and we talk about, you know, having similar views but not wanting to identify because, one, it's, like I said, it kind of goes back to that embarrassment that that's not what I necessarily want to connect myself with, but also, too, not wanting to hear that, you know, I'm somehow bigoted or somehow racist because I believe in certain economic strategies. Hmm. I want to bring on to our conversation Bennett from Utah. Are you there, Bennett? Yes. Hi, Anna. Hi, Bennett. You also got in touch with Death, Sex, and Money. Tell me, what did you want other Americans to understand that they don't? Well, I um, what I want people to understand, you know, especially after the election, is kind of how lonely it can be for a lot of you know, minority groups, when we don't see ourselves represented well in leadership, in um, politics in particular, and in a lot of media, and then to, like, face an election like we did, it just kind of brought that home, hit that closer to home. And it's something that I think... um, a lot of people can relate to, whether you're in a minority group or not, and that's something I've been learning since the election. So, do you? Um, how do you feel about Republicans right now, Bennett? Well, so I'm 25 years old, and um, I'm gay and I'm mixed race. So, you know, in my lifetime, I've never felt that the Republican Party was a place where I could be accepted, you know, a place that welcomed me or, uh, like, my friends. Since this election, I have realized that kind of a lot of my feelings of being um, left out and not being represented well, I understand now that's a lot of Trump's, like, voting base, right? That was a lot of his first-time voters and something that um, a lot of people didn't expect. So while I may have my issues with that party, I and now seeing there are some similarities, and obviously for very different um, kind of 
uh, cultural reasons, but still at the core, there's a similar message there. Have you felt angry after the election, Bennett? I have. And one thing that, you know, has bothered me is watching, like, the results come in on election night, it it was similar to the way I felt on um, June 12th uh, or June 13th, the, the day after the Orlando shooting. You know, it felt yeah. kind of like such a cultural attack, something so something that like really invalidated people that that I relate to, that I connect with and see myself as, it felt like we were, we just weren't heard yet again or cared for. Catherine, do you want to say anything to Bennett about the part of the Republican Party that, that you feel like you belong in since he's felt so rejected by it, he, he said, his whole 25 years? Oh. Wow. Um, I feel like I obviously cannot directly relate to the loneliness that you you felt. And in a certain sense, like, I sort of understand the loneliness now being kind of caught in this middle. But I think that it's a place that has, thank goodness, become increasingly more welcoming of different people and that I hope that it can get back to, as I said, what it was before, as opposed to what it's become. And that, you know, I think that younger people, I'm hoping that younger people like myself are, you know, including those who feel that they might not necessarily have been included before. And And I just, my biggest hope is for some unity and some mutual understanding. And I hope that that's something we can, you know, symbolically offer each other. Oh, absolutely. I I would love to see that, too. Bennett and Catherine, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. I want to bring in Michael from Vernon, New Jersey. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking the call. I'm good. Thanks for calling in. What do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Me, personally, I would think that, uh, and I haven't heard a lot of it. I don't know. There may have been talks about it, but I'm a second-generation union carpenter. I haven't heard too much talk about it, but Donald Trump has come out multiple times saying that he is more for a right-to-work state all over the country, which means less work for the unions. And what most people don't understand is unions set the precedent for the wages across the country. And if this all happens, it could go real fast very quickly. And um, just looking for some understanding from somebody else, you know, I haven't heard too much about it. Yeah, you're feeling so. You're feeling kind of personally targeted economically. Yes. Well, I, I'm a, I'm 24 years old. I'm part of the you know air quotations white working class that is the talk of town these days. Um, and <laughs> I'm a hard worker. I'm, I like to you know think I am at least. But most people have been taking the white working class to be an uneducated, ignorant company, racist people essentially. And we are not, not all of us. I mean, me personally, I'm very open. I'm very liberal in my views as far as, you know, the economy and whatnot. And, but, uh, and, you're, again, and from um, your point of view as a union carpenter, you're, you're looking at Donald Trump and, and worrying that he's not actually going to be for the working man if he comes yes, after and, uh, your union. Yes, exactly. I'm, uh, he he has said a bunch of things saying he's going to help this country get back to where it needs to be, but I don't feel that he's going to be right to the union, which in part is not going to be right to this whole country. And Michael, I just want to ask you if I'm a if I'm a non-union carpenter, hearing what you say, and I'm thinking Michael gets paid a whole heck of a lot more than I do, and he's complaining about the unions losing some of their ground. I need some some of that ground. Like, how do you respond to that? I'll respond to it in the same way I respond to anybody who seems to have a complaint. Um, unions set the precedent for the wages. So if our wages drop, then the non-union carpenters' wages are going to drop. The work will start disappearing. It'll start getting sent out to, you know, you know, illegals or any type of person that is willing to do the work for less will take the work away, and the wages will drop. And I noticed you used the word illegals. Is that, a, is that the word you use for undocumented people usually? No, ma'am. Uh, it's just... There are um, undocumented 
immigrants in the country, um, and they, they are taking work, but not to the extent that some people make it out to be. I'm not saying as a union partner that they're taking everything I know, because most of the jobs I've been on in my life have been all union people. It's been a very good job, and it gets done. But for the people who are non-union and those who have their own businesses and whatnot, including immigrants, it's, it's, it could set the bar for lower wages all across the country. Michael, I want to thank you for calling in. We are taking your calls this hour about what you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't. Our number is 212-433-WNYC. That's 212-433-9692. We'll continue this conversation in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the United States of Anxiety post-election call-in series live from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex, and Money, the podcast from WNYC Studios. And right now, we're taking your calls about what you wish other Americans understood about you but don't. The phone number is 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. I want to bring in Heather in Brooklyn. Hi, Heather. What do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Yeah. Hi, Anna. Um, I just think there's so many stereotypes happening right now, almost like tenfold um, before this election. And I think about myself, and I'm a native New Yorker, um, I have a successful job. I'm, you know, university, master's degree educated, but I grew up in public housing. I'm like one of five children, and my parents were working class folks, you know, um, uh, white, but, you know, European descent, and um, and we struggled. We really struggled, um, but education was important. Working hard was important. I kind of worked ever since I was 16 years old, and I just think you know, I live in Brooklyn now. I, um, I I think people are painting these really broad brushstrokes. Um, I'm a liberal Democrat in a lot of people's eyes, probably. But like, first and foremost, I'm a female. I'm a mother. Um, you know, I'm a wife. I'm a sister. And I think that female identity for me is just surpasses everything else. You know, any other political brushstroke that somebody will want to paint on me um, or for me. Um, you know, I'm a Democrat. I've always voted Democrat, but I, you know, come from a household where my mom was a Reagan Republican. But again, like for, first and foremost, she was a female, and I, I just feel like this election there was just no contest at all. If you identify as somebody that believes in rights for women, reproductive rights, um, fair wage rights, and all that, so I guess. That's Do you what feel I'm like you're of. a yeah, so you're a white woman living in Brooklyn, so you sort of look like what, for a voter who lives far away from one of the coast, might think of as one of the, you know, the coastal elites. You've got a master's degree, you've got a graduate degree, yeah. but you grew up in public housing. Like, do you, do you feel like you're part of kind of the, you know, the coastal elite? Uh, no, 
I mean, I, I definitely don't. I, you know, again, I think I could be painted that way. Um, but in, interestingly, I mean, when I was growing up, people thought I was Puerto Rican. So, cause I, my father's um, of Italian descent and, and I'm married now to a Mexican. And, um, you know, so we have a, we have a daughter who's, you know, multiracial, um, I guess, um, you know, identifies as half Mexican. And, um, so no, I, you know, again, like just, this is again, a broad brushstroke, but, um, people almost growing up thought I was kind of non-white. They thought I was more Hispanic, you know? Um, so, but I mean, but that's just physical, right? So you can, you can paint a brushstroke on somebody just kind of from their physical traits, um, but then they open their yeah. mouths, and I think that's where you have to listen to people. I just, I, I hope we're going to listen to each other. You know, I'm very. What sort do you of, feel? Of, of, yeah. For you, I'm just curious. Like in the, you know, the post-election chatter that we've all been a part of. Do mm-hmm. you? What about being a woman? Being a woman, you have a daughter. Like, what do you think about being a woman in America right now? Do you want to just underscore about what what you're thinking about and what you're concerned about? I think there's a lot at risk. I really do. I, you know, I almost want to, you know, I love that your show is talking about we should be talking to each other. Um, and I almost want to talk to Ivanka Trump, you know, in some weird way um, that's maybe not so weird. But I just, I just feel like women's rights, um, the rights of children, the rights of working parents, male and female, Reproductive rights, like that's all under attack. In this, and what in would this, what, if if Ivanka is tuning in right now on ninety three point nine FM in New York? Yeah. What, what would you just like want the sentence that you want Ivanka like to think about as she's going to sleep tonight? What would you want her to think about? Oh boy, um, I'd want her to explain to me how what is coming out of her father's mouth. Um, is something that she could get behind um, as a mother, as a daughter, as a wife, as a woman con- who converted to Judaism for her husband. I just want her to explain the rhetoric and the hatred that's coming out of her father's mouth and to either refute it or explain it in some way that I could understand it. I think that's what I'd want her to, to you know, that's what I'd want to say to her and would, uh, what I would want to hear from her. Heather, thank you so much for calling in. I want to bring Jorge in Manhattan into the conversation. Jorge, what do you wish other Americans understood about you that you feel like they don't? Hi, uh, good evening. I'd first like to say I love the uh, the entire series. Um, anybody who's willing to listen, I recommend hearing it. So say I applaud um, yourself good. and everybody put it together for putting such a great product out. Well, thanks, Jorge. What, what did you want to add? So, um, I am a first-generation Latino, and, um, you know, within my family and friend circle, there are a lot of different opinions regarding this election and regarding political leanings. And all I've heard from people and from the media is how... You know, the Latinos are all liberal or Democrats. I personally identify myself as a progressive. Um, you know, growing up, um, kind of had the American dream. I saw it before my eyes. Grew up in a uh, small apartment in New Jersey, and by the time I was in high school, was able to move out to the suburbs. Um, got an education, bachelor's and a master's degree. and But... I do see the different tones. So I have, like, for example, my brother is a registered Republican. Um, he really identifies himself with that. Um, and I have other friends as well who are more right-leaning. And I think that within the Latino demographic, there's a lot of national identities. There's a lot of racial identity. There's a lot of economic identity that... Um, and to echo um, the the other caller that are being painted with a broad brush. Um, yeah, we have these blunt these blunt tools of exit polls, and as a result, we talk about all Hispanics as if they are one monolith. I, I wonder if you if you 
Has it been difficult to talk with your brother who identifies as a Republican? You identify as a progressive? Or, or has it been, do you love your brother and you feel like he's coming from a place of, of you know, rigorous analysis? Has it been tough? Or, or do you understand where he's coming from? It was very tough in the past. Um, he um, is very staunch on the um, on self uh, what would you call it? I would call it more of, um, of uh, you know, picking yourself up from the bootstraps and, you know, nothing is handed to you. He kind of has that mentality. But I would have to say that I still love him. Um, but this election, actually, to my surprise, he voted for Hillary. Um, mm. He and he, well, he's the only Republican in the family that switched. My uncle still voted for Trump, but very much a Republican. Um, and his argument is a bit different. You know, he argues that he came to this country, um, followed all the rules, had a way to get his citizenship, had to take all the classes. And his view is it's unfair that some people from Mexico come in and come illegally and kind of force their way in. And that's his opinion. I don't agree with it. I think there's a lot more to it than that. But, you know, I have friends as well who are, for example, Puerto Rican. And Puerto Ricans, by birth, are United States citizens. And a lot of my Puerto Rican friends, well, not a lot, I would say um, a, a decent amount, lean to the right. And they have a very similar argument. Um, well, Jorge, so, it sounds like you're going to have a very exciting, popping Thanksgiving conversation oh with your family God. and friends. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for calling it. Best of luck to you over that over Turkey Day. Thank um, you. I, I sure. I want to bring in Sophia in Hawaii, who's giving us a call. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Anna. Hi. What do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Um, so I am half Pakistani and half Irish German. Um, my dad immigrated to the United States from Pakistan when he was in his 20s for college. And um, he married my mom, who's from upstate New York. And um, obviously, I'm an American. Um, my dad became an American citizen um, after my parents got married. Um, and my grandparents and my aunt and uncle also um, all immigrated to the U.S., and they're all U.S. citizens and my cousins. Um, and uh, I, I don't look like someone who has an entire Muslim Pakistani immigrant family, and um, I don't live near them. And so um, I, uh, I don't identify as Muslim myself. I'm a Christian, and I go to church, and I live in Hawaii, which is not where my family lives. Um, and so... Uh, a lot of times I get brought into conversations where people bring things up about immigrants or specifically Muslim immigrants, um, and they say things with an assumption that I would agree with them, you know, along the lines of these people shouldn't be here or they're generally a bad thing. And um, obviously I don't feel that way. That's my family. <laughs> yeah, you said um, you wrote in an email to us that you sometimes fantasize about getting your maiden name tattooed on your arm or constantly wearing a picture <laughs> of your extended family around your neck so people would, would know. I mean, do you find in a situation where someone is saying something about Muslims and for you that's half of your family, what do you do mm -hmm. socially? I have no idea. I have not been able to come up with a good answer to this. And it has become like more and more of a problem in my life over the last couple of years. And obviously the selection and um, the type of language that I think is more normalized about immigrants and specifically Muslims and ISIS and all these things. And um, I, I don't have a good answer. Like I, I try to be a really reasoned person and I'm not super political. Um, but, you know, I, I can't sit and defend every surah of the Quran line by line. Like, I, I don't know enough about that. I know about my family. Um, and there's a lot of times that I just want to scream and yell about things that are said, and it doesn't do any good. Like, mm. it doesn't it doesn't make anybody look good. And then I, I can't, like, I don't have a tit for tat answer, you know, like, I You're still working on your talking points. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I want to bring Alex who, uh, into the conversation. She is also in Hawaii. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? Hi, good. I'm not sure if you all are close to each other on the islands, but Alex, what, what did you want to add to the conversation? Hawaii. You're on the Big Island, and where are you? I too. Sophia? Oh, cool. Maybe you can. Alex, what do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Um, well, the first thing I want to let you know is the Kelly that you spoke to earlier is actually my niece, so it was very interesting to hear her speak. Oh, family! Yeah, very <laughs> Small weird. world. Very weird. Um, I know your time is limited, so my thoughts as I was watching everything unfold was, honestly, now a lot of white Americans understand how black people feel all the time, especially in light of everything that's been going on with the police shootings. How can this happen? How can this occur? This, this isn't right. Um, you know, watching everything unfold with Donald Trump over the past 18 months and longer, you know, for the first several months, I kept thinking, oh, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. And as I watched him get bigger and bigger crowds, I just really realized that, you know, this country, as much as a lot of people thought because we had an African-American president, we've moved beyond race. And we really haven't. And um, just like Kelly said, I'm also scared. I'm in Hawaii, so I'm, I'm not in the same kind of populace, but I'm scared for my family. I'm scared for my nephew. I'm scared for, um, you know, walking down the street and when I go back to the mainland because it feels that a lot of the, the Trump supporters now have a license to do what they want, and it doesn't feel like there's any protection. It doesn't feel mm. like whatever safeguards that we used to feel that we had it feels like they're all completely gone because this man does not operate by any rules and the people who support him are blinded to anything that he says and does that just makes absolutely no sense. Alex, and your point about that feeling of living in a country where you, you're, you're not sure you belong, that that's a feeling that black people have felt a very long time oh, that is we a feel good all point the time. to reflect on. I mean, on. I am a professional right now. I'm working. I have my own companies. But, you know, sitting around the board table, walking down, I, I'm actually from New York City originally. So I completely understand uh, what Kelly again said, being a black woman in the big city and feeling ignored and overlooked and, and having stereotypes, you know, just, just thrust upon you based on nothing. So it, it just feels like for me that a lot of white people, for lack of a better word, are just kind of understanding what we feel, where we don't feel that this is our country, this isn't representative of who we are as human beings, the families that we interact with, the values that we have. It just is, it's just at odds. And I actually was talking to my mother, uh, she's 84, and I was saying, you know, I guess this is kind of what she had to live through with Jim Crow and, and the civil rights and watching everything unfold and the African-American leaders that were murdered, having to live through all that and go, oh my God, I am an American but people don't want to see me that way, and I don't know what's going to change and when it will. And I feel Alex, that way now. Alex, thank you. You feel that way now. Alex, thank you for calling in. And Sophia, thank you for calling in from Hawaii. I hope you all run into each other on the Big Island. I want to bring in now a caller who prefers we don't use her real name. We're going to call her Nora. She wrote in to Death, Sex, and Money and told us that she works on Capitol Hill as a Republican staffer, but she voted for Hillary Clinton. Nora which is what we're calling you. What, what is the thing that you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Hey there, Anna. Hi. I, you know, this is, it's been a, a crazy last couple of weeks. Um, you know, like you said, I, I didn't support Donald Trump at any level of the primary process, the general election. You know, it really wasn't until the early hours of the 9th of November that I really, you know, it, it just hit me that, you know, my party, the Republican Party, had a mandate to govern. And it wasn't how I envisioned it happening. It, you know, I, I would never have bet on, you know, things turning out the way they did. But, you know, there are so many people like me who, you know, I, I'm a Republican staffer. I've always been a Republican staffer. But there are so many people on Capitol Hill that, you know, are really going to take this opportunity and do the country proud. Um, it's not how we envision getting the mandate, but, you know, we are 
simultaneously terrified of sort of the uncharted unknown, but also really excited to finally have a, a chance, the first chance in eight years to be able to kind of do what we sort of envision for the country. And, you know, as a Hillary Clinton voter, I just was so surprised at how things shook out. But there are so many people like me that so you're, voted the, for you're, her you're, because of her inclusive message and, you know, the things that she preached. And we're still the ones that are sort of behind the scenes and we are not going anywhere. Do you feel ambivalent at all about the person who you wanted to be president lost? Donald Trump mm-hmm. is going to become president, and it means professional opportunity for you as a Republican in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that was, I think, the biggest shock. You know, when I voted for Hillary Clinton, you know, it was under the assumption that everybody else had. You know, Hillary Clinton was going to win. The Democrats were going to take over the Senate. And that means in D.C., you know, the number of jobs in the executive agencies, but also in the Senate and the House you know, it, it directly is proportional to the, the party in power. So when I voted for Hillary, I did it completely against my own career interests, which is, you know, it was really hard to make peace with that. And it was upsetting, but I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I thought about voting third party. And when it came down to it, I just could not support this man who didn't represent so much of the things that I'm proud of. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're going into a, a big season of the Trump administration is going to be staffing up and are going to be taking people like me, um, young Republicans and young millennial Republicans. And those are the people f- that are going to be part of this new administration. Do you feel um, at all like maybe this is a party that you don't want to work for anymore? You know, my husband asks me that question every day. Um, I don't know. I think that I'll know it when I see it. And until then, you know, I've, I've given my whole career. This is the only career I've ever wanted was to serve, to be in D.C. and to help people at home. And I think that that's something, you know, my identity as a Republican is much more than who I vote for, you know, once a year. It's something that I live and breathe every day. It's part of my, my identity and down to my core. It's just a huge part of who I am. And it's very hard to give up something that takes up so much of my time and my energy, you know, not just as an American voter, but as as someone who's very dedicated to their career. Nora, I want you to stay on the line and I want to bring Mark in for as our final guest. Hi, Mark. Hey there. How are you, Anna? Hi, good. Uh, What do you, what do you wish other Americans understood about you that they don't? Well, um, I'm 51 years old. I'm a white male. I'm gay. Uh, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. And I think, for me, I, um, I, I, I memoed you about silence. I think I absorbed an intense amount of homophobia to the point where, I mean, uh, I think when you talk about me and being silent, I'm a big talker, and people would laugh at that. But I have absorbed a lot of quietude about who I am. So when I go home or when I'm around my partner or my partner's relatives, I'm very, very silent about who I am. And and when Trump got elected, I was in so much denial. And it was so depressing. I went into a deep depression for a couple of days. And I woke up from that. And when I woke up to realize, it was like Thelma said in Thelma Louise, I feel awake. I feel very awake, and I don't feel frightened because I feel awake. I want to ask, Mark, is there something you want to tell Nora if she takes a job with the new Republican administration, what you want her to think about? Um, you know what? I, I'm so glad that Nora – hey, Nora, by the way. Um, I'm so glad that she was, it's got to be quick, on, Mark. We're running out of time. You I'm just glad, got I'm one sentence. I'm on the line because I think she's already on the way. I think she feels the same way. We're going to have to wrap it there. Nora and Mark, thank you so much for calling in. I want to say thanks to all of you who have called in and shared your thoughts tonight. I hope that you will keep this conversation going. I'm Anna Sale. Thank you and good night. That was our show. Thanks to so many of you for joining in. You know the thing I wish other Americans understood about me but don't? 
that I miss my home in West Virginia, but moving to other cities has made me reimagine over and over again what's possible in my life. I wish other Americans understood how grating the self-satisfied insularity of Brooklyn and Berkeley can be, and how dangerous the casual hatefulness of some Trump supporters is. I wish other Americans understood how alarming it is to notice that both where I live and where I grew up seem to be driven now by the question, how can I get mine? But actually, I think a lot of other Americans do understand this. I think that's why so many of us are feeling rattled right now. This is not familiar territory. It is unmooring. The only thing that's grounding is hearing how the rest of you are making sense of this and figuring out how you want to go forward. So thank you for sharing. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Thanks to Destry Sibley and the radio station KQED in San Francisco for all of their help during this live broadcast. The Death, Sex, and Money team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Our interns are Ali Lesperance and Rich Rinalik. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And if you want to find out more about the United States of Anxiety series, visit WNYC slash anxiety. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Mm-hmm.